We're off. <laughs> Good afternoon and welcome to Mets 360 here on Cast. I'm your host Brian Jora. Uh, we it seems like we haven't done one of these in a while, so I'm glad to be back in the saddle again. And I'm very pleased to welcome back to the program uh, Tim McLeod, fantasy baseball expert. Tim, how are you? I am just doing great, Brian, and thanks uh, thanks so much for uh, having me on. I would have thought, you know, you would have come in with some sort of a Kinks reference rather than Aerosmith, but hey, that works. <laughs> well, you know, I was listening to Kinks uh, while we were trying to get uh, on the air early, so maybe I was kinked out, but I, I sincerely doubt that. Yeah. Anyway, um, you know, talking about Kinks, let's talk about the uh, Mets managerial situation. Uh, the big uh, news, of course, in Mets land is uh, Mickey Calloway got into it with a uh, local beat reporter, uh, and um, it's it just spiraled out of control from there. I'm sure you know all about it. So as an outsider, what's your take on this situation? Well, you know, uh, things aren't going real real good right now in Mets land. And I can understand the frustration uh, that uh, Mickey Calloway obviously must feel, but you can't be going after a local beat reporter. That just doesn't happen. And, you know, when you get Mr. Vargas jumping in as well, you know, that's that's not a good situation. Uh, uh, you know, whether you like these people, you have to deal with them on a regular basis. So find some way to take your frustrations out on somebody else other than the beat reporters, I would suggest, Mickey. And, you know, based on what I'm hearing, uh, there might not be that many more opportunities for him to do that, right? Well, there was speculation uh, earlier in the season they lost a three-game series. They got swept by the Marlins, and he survived that. So you 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 started to wonder if there was anything that could happen to him this season which would result in his being fired. But I guess uh, messing up with a beat reporter and then allegedly screwed up the apology too yesterday. So, and, and then continuing to lose games in the process so it, it in some ways it seems like he's trying his darndest to 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 get sent packing yeah who gets uh, who gets the boot first uh, callaway or kapler because they lost to the marlins i think they got swept by the marlins on the weekend uh, is this like a race <laughs> here we were thinking that the Mets and Phillies were going to be racing for the NL East lead and instead it seems like uh, which manager is going to get fired first and if you had said that it was going to be an NL East manager I think most of us would have nodded in agreement but we would have thought it would have been uh, Washington's manager instead. Yeah that, that would have got my vote because they've been underachieving but they're slowly starting to get back into it a little bit. Uh, it could be an interesting race uh over the over the summer months, uh, Brian. Well, certainly that was the hope coming into the year. Uh, the Mets have underachieved. Uh, the Nats have uh, likewise, and and the Phillies maybe most of all. Um, it seems like the only team that's playing well is the the Braves here recently. But you know, as we've seen before, that can turn on a dime. Well, yeah, and let's face it, the Braves have a. A couple holes in that bullpen that they got to find a way to fill. They get, you know, they've got lots of young starting pitching, and they can wheel them in, wheel them out. But you know, Fulton Evich hasn't looked like the Fulton Evich we saw last year. And like I said, hey, that that bullpen still needs some work. So it's a long way from being done in that division. Now you've got a much better grasp on uh, all of the teams in in Major League Baseball than I do. Is there a team out there? Uh, besides maybe the Astros, who have what you would consider a good bullpen? Uh, the Yankees. 
Uh, there's no shortage of bullpen uh, talent in New York and obviously uh, Houston. You know, I know right now Osuna is struggling a little bit, but Osuna, Presley, Rondon, you know, they've got Houston's got no shortage of arms, and you know, you you look at the you look at the Yankees, uh, another team with four or five really good arms at the back end, and the Cubs with the acquisition of uh, Craig Kimbrell. You know, you, uh, you you look at Pedro Strope, Seashack. Uh, uh, you know, in today's game, you've got to have at least two to three really solid arms. Okay, in that in that bullpen and teams that don't have it, uh, they're going to struggle. It's going to be a problem. Now, before the meltdown with Mickey Calloway happened, uh, the Mets fired their pitching coach and replaced him with 82-year-old Phil Regan. The optics look bad on hiring an 82-year-old guy, but is there more to it than that? Uh, we're calling that a youth movement, are we, uh, Brad? <laughs> no, no, no. Well, you know, he's been in the organization a long time, okay? And and it's it's a temporary role, okay? Uh, I don't have I don't have any problems with hiring Phil Reagan. He's been very successful. He's been you know, it's just a temporary gig and and I he's worked with all these pitchers before. So, uh Really, when you at the end of the day, when you look at it, aren't the Wilpons the pitching coaches there, anyways? Oh dear God, you know how to hurt about a guy. <laughs> oh, so, uh, sorry, Brian. Sorry. <laughs> I sincerely hope that's not the case. But to me, I, I like the idea of of hiring the the veteran with the the steady hand in in Phil Regan, and he doesn't have any view of himself as a savior. And like you noted, he's yeah. worked with almost all of these guys previously because he's been in the minor league system uh, for quite quite a while now. And after he got hired, I read something which I was unaware of previously, and that's for the past 20 years, he's gone down to the Dominican Republic in the offseason to work with pitchers in the wintertime, too. So obviously, he's a guy who's dedicated to his craft. Well, yeah, very dedicated. And, you know, when you look at the whole situation in New York right now, uh, with Callaway's job possibly being on the line, do they want to make a commitment? Okay. Uh, to somebody from outside the organization when they're not even fully defined as to what they're doing, <laughs> you know, possibly from a managerial capacity, uh, they're better off with uh, Phil Reagan, I think, than going outside. And if they were to go outside, Brian, who's going to take the job with all of the uh, nonsense that's going on right now? You know what I mean? It's uh, You're in the middle of a season, and there's some issues with the with the manager, uh, I think uh, I think what the Mets did here in promoting Reagan in, uh, in an interim role, I, I think it's a, I think it's the best move they could make. Now let's talk about something a little happier, uh, since those first two things maybe weren't the the nicest news ever, and that's Pete Alonso, and he recently broke Daryl Strawberry's record for the most home runs hit by a, a Mets rookie, um, and. Now it, it certainly seems like a 50 home run season for Alonzo is in play. Uh, did you think that was remotely possible before the year started? No, I I I really didn't. Uh, I saw him in Arizona, and I thought uh, I thought he was going to have trouble with the inside with the inside pitches. Uh, I really did, based on what I saw. Now, granted, it was a small sample size, Brian, but you know uh, the power. Uh, you know, when I saw him last fall, the power is definitely real. 
this this kid kid can smack the ball a long way, and uh, I think he's going to be an asset in New York for a long time. But fifty home runs, I, I I guess I'm sort of looking is fifty now the new thirty five with the way balls are jumping out of parks. Uh, uh, you know, it, a guy at one point in time, twenty home runs was sort of a a milestone of sorts. Is twenty home runs now just uh, you know another another bat? See, I don't know if I would go so far as to say that uh, 50 is going to be something that we're going to see a lot of people do. Um, I, I, I think that the, the home run explosion that we've seen doesn't seem to be as focused in uh, a handful of players like maybe the, uh, the, the silly ball era was. I mean, it seems to be something that, uh, what is it, the rising tide lifts all boats. I think every hitter now is uh is a threat to hit 10 home runs in a season so in, instead of like maybe brady anderson hitting 50 and everybody else hitting you know 5 to 20 i mean i think that you know we're gonna see all of these people hitting a dozen or more and, and i think that it's it's not so tightly uh grouped as it was earlier yeah you know when i see players like uh kate el Marte already over 20 home runs it does give one pause to wonder, like, man, uh, baseballs are flying out. That's all. That's all I'll say. You know, everybody's everybody's hitting home runs, uh, and you know, hey, what, hey, fans love the home runs. The only concern I have is when it gets to the stage where it becomes too commonplace, and then maybe people will be yelling for a suicide squeeze every once in a while, right? Something different. So. Do you think that either Aerosmith or the Kinks were ever on KTEL Records? Uh, I hope not. <laughs> I'll leave it at that. <laughs> well, as much uh, power as Alonzo has displayed this year, you know, there's a rookie in the AL uh, who might even have him beat in that department. Uh, tell us about uh, Jordan Alvarez. Yeah, you know, he got off to a really good start this year, and he's just sustained it. You know, the kid turns 20... What is he, 22 this week, later on in the week? And he had 23 homers at AAA before the Astros brought him up, and he's got seven now and 48 at bats. And man, the kid just has uh, very good strike zone judgment, plus raw power oh, all over the place. So, uh, an exciting player in the AL, uh, Brian, very exciting. Seven home runs and 48 at bats is, is just really hard to, to fathom. And it just makes me wonder what the scouting reports are. And it seems like they ought to burn him and try something different. Well, yeah, he was uh, he was very young and out of Cuba uh, heading into last year. So he really, really exploded this year. But uh, the second home run he hit was down, down and in, about a foot off the ground. And he golfed out on a line drive out of the park. I think the exit velocity on it was 110 plus. So uh, I, I don't know how you're going to stop this kid because he's hitting them all over the strike zone. He's not just hitting the grooved ones. Uh, he he's hit a couple uh, junk balls that went a mile too. So that's that's a good sign for his future. It really is. Now I've got a a big MLB question that I'd like to get your thoughts about it, especially given your previous fandom. And there was a report uh, recently that the Rays received permission from uh, MLB's executive council to explore a plan where they could split their home games between Tampa and, and Montreal. 
what are your thoughts on uh, that potential arrangement? Um, a pipe dream. How's that? Uh, <laughs> a, a, pi a pipe dream at best. There are there are so many things that that come into play. The fact that the Rays uh, have a, a situation where they're locked in until the end of 2027 on on that uh, lease arrangement. Uh, they're not going to get out of it. Uh, St. Pete's Mayor Rick Kreisman, he's not going to allow that to happen. So the, the Rays have to basically play their home games at the drop. Uh, you know, you look at, there's a, two cities, two countries, the tax rates for the players. The Players Association will never agree to anything uh, along these lines. It's just uh, an impossible dream. What, what do they do with players, Brian? Uh, okay, we're going to play the first half in Tampa Bay, the second half in Montreal. So all the players have to have two homes. Families, what do they do as far as uh, kids, school, housing? Uh, uh, on top of all of that, the Rays just inked a fairly big TV deal, I think, that pays them 80 mil a year for the next 15 years. You know, people say that, you know, the Rays attendance and yada, 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 but, you know... If the Rays are getting eighty million a year, okay, through their TV deal, I think their payroll is in the low sixties this year. They don't need people to show up to make money, and uh, as much as they would love to, have, you know, the ownership would love to have a full park. That team's making money. Uh, they're they're in Tampa Bay until twenty twenty eight, is my guess. Now you mentioned something, and the the first thing I thought of was, as an Expos fan, certainly you remember when they. Uh, played some games in uh, Puerto Rico and they made that work so I, I don't some of the objections that you raised I, I don't see them being uh, insurmountable yeah I, I think the big thing is the lease <laughs> they're locked in and unless they can find a way out of or around that uh, I can't see it progressing and you know you, you add in you know the, the players association the TV deal uh, uh you know, at some point in time, uh, I believe that team will move. But I don't think it's going to be until after that lease expires. And then I think it'll be lock, stock, and barrel, and they're gone. So you've made pretty clear that you don't think that this has a chance of happening. But I want you to put your pretend hat on for a moment. Okay. And say that they they uh, meet all of the uh, objections that you had and they solve them somehow. And this comes to pass in, oh, I don't know, 2022, that they're, they're ready to rock, they're ready to roll, and they're ready to, to split time between the two cities. Um, so the, the, I think the original report that I read was that I had Tampa Bay the first half of the year and then Montreal in, in the second half. Hmm. Uh, Weather-related, I suppose, uh, the reasons behind that. Uh, it, it seems interesting that that's the way that they would choose to approach it. Well, Montreal in, uh, in April can be interesting. <laughs> okay, it can be interesting in May from a weather point of view. So it, it, it makes sense. Uh, to finish up the season in Montreal because the summers are great, you know, the, the weather the weather fits. But, uh, again, uh, this idea of sharing, uh, I think Montreal will end up with a team at some point in time. And what I, what I think is likely to happen is uh, they're likely to, you know, Tampa Bay is likely to get into some agreement uh, for 2028, 
with a group in Montreal and look at either a sale or a transfer at that point in time. So, uh, you know, it, I, I just think there's too many obstacles to overcome. I, I'm very surprised that MLB even approved this, but then again, you know, Rob Manford is still lobbying for pitchers to be locked into full innings and to get rid of the shift. So I guess, hey, it sort of makes sense from that perspective. Now, what do you have any insight as to what the um, what the climate is for a new stadium in Montreal? Because that would seem to be one of the big sticking points. Um, I think they can. Uh, they were they were looking at an expansion type franchise, and I think what what they're looking at is a situation where they can use the big O for a couple of years, and that'll work. But I don't, I don't know if they will actually, you know, I, I've, I've heard that there's property that is being looked at and, and it's feasible. But I think it's a situation where Montreal and, and any group in Montreal is not going to commit to a new stadium or facility until they have a team. And they can pull that off simply because they have an existing facility they can use in the interim being the the big O so it sort of makes sense you know if I was looking at putting a team into Montreal I wouldn't be going out and building the stadium first I would want to have a commitment from Major League Baseball that a team is going to be there and then work on it you know that that's that would seem to be a a smarter plan of attack it, it, it may be smarter for Montreal but it may be a situation where they're not going to get the, the franchise without the stadium and I think that uh, they're going to have to feel like they're they're well on their way to getting awarded one and then they're going to have to start building it before the official word comes because I don't see uh, Olympic Stadium being uh, feasible for more than half a season yeah it's uh, I caught a game there oh two years ago one of the uh, the Jays games they, they've been having two a year there and uh it's it is what it is, and on a short term well, basis, we seem to have can, lost uh, Tim's work, audio. Tim, I don't know basis, if you can hear me. Not. But, I, th- uh, I think the excitement have, of having a new cut team, out completely. Oh, sorry, sorry, Brian. I and we've now I lost the Tim. excitement we'll of having uh, a new he team tries in Montreal. To, to get back into, we'll get fans to the out to the big room, old, really but only on a short term basis. To hear how he was so. Uh, I don't know, somewhere in the ballpark of negative or dismissive about the situation between the, uh, the, the, the Rays splitting time between Tampa and, and Montreal. I mean, I know that it's, a, it's an uphill battle and it's probably best if you're uh, an old Expos fan like Tim is to try to, to get your hopes up too high about something like that. But I think that just the, the idea that the executive council approve this to go forward is is a great step and as someone who's very interested in speaking for me here uh seeing major league baseball return to montreal i think this is a a real encouraging development and of course part of the plan was that montreal would have to have a new stadium built for this dual city arrangement to move forward Uh, and you know no one thinks the dual city thing is a um is a permanent uh, a permanent thing, but it could be the ideal way to prove that Montreal is still a viable MLB city, and I think that 
in the past when it didn't work out so well in Montreal it was because of you know basically incompetent ownership and if they got solid ownership in there I think that uh, Montreal would be a, a great Major League Baseball city so as someone who's very interested in seeing Montreal return um, I'm, I'm following this situation closely well we don't seem to have uh, Tim back in here yet uh, we're gonna pause here just a second and see what we can do well we're back with uh, Tim we got uh, temporarily disconnected so I was rambling on about the uh, Montreal situation giving my thoughts about it and uh, just wanted to see if you had any final thoughts about it uh, well yeah I got my passport out so we should be good good to go from here on out Brian yeah I guess the only thing that that I do feel rather sad for being a Montreal Expos fan and watching them leave under cover of dark and head off to Florida with uh, Jeffrey Loria driving the truck I, I do feel for the fans of the Tampa Bay Rays uh, you know, hey, they they might not have a huge uh, attendance, but hey, they do have their fans, they do have their supporters, and uh, as much as I would like to see Montreal get a team, I would love to see them get a team under different circumstances. Well, speaking of passports, if you're a Red Sox or a Yankees fan and you wanted to see all of their games this year, you'd need a passport because they're going to be playing in London. Um, and I want to know from you, do you think it's a good idea to play such a marquee matchup in the middle of the season overseas? Um, if I was the equipment manager, managers <laughs> for both of those teams, uh, uh, that's a negatory at my end. You know, hey, I, I get that Major League Baseball wants to showcase uh, their sport and two very, very good teams and prominently known teams. But the logistics of playing, playing games... Uh, four or five thousand miles uh, away from uh, their their home parks in the middle of the season. I, I don't like it. I really don't. I, I think it's a logistical nightmare and like I said I, I'm sure the administrative staff of both of those teams would support my decision on it. If you're going to do something, do it do preseason exhibitions, something like that, or start the beginning of the year. Give them three games at the end of March, whatever. I think that makes a lot more sense than trying to do something in season. Yeah, I don't know. What's the weather like in London at the end of March? It may be even worse than Montreal. Uh, I was going to say yes. Uh, we could have a, a situation where uh, fog enters into the picture. Now, I used to live in, in Boston, and I had season tickets. A group of us had season tickets, mm -hmm. and we would have... Uh, uh, basically a draft to see uh, who got which tickets right and of course the the Yankee games were some of the first ones to go those are the ones that people wanted to see and it just seems it seems I don't know less than less than great to be taking such a, a marquee matchup away from the fans yeah I'm sure the fans aren't the fans aren't happy either uh, Brian like I said uh, hey you know it, it's great for baseball fans in London they're gonna they're gonna see two marquee teams in the middle of the season in games that count but at the same point in time uh, I, I think they I think they could look in other directions to fulfill their worldly plans how's that yeah you know I think that uh, maybe a uh, Royals Brewers interleague matchup would be the uh, the one to send over to London in the middle of the season if they absolutely had to do that well yeah Mar Marlins Marlins and Royals uh, there we go 
Well, we were speaking of the evil empire, and uh, the Yankees just tied a, a Major League Baseball record when they homered in their 27th straight game. And we made reference to the, the home run explosion earlier, and uh, I want to hear from you. Are, are the home runs being, uh, all the home runs being hit, is, is that a problem that MLB should, should look to uh, address with one of Rob Manfred's uh, great solutions? Um, yeah, it, it's sort of interesting, and the more I think about it, uh, I th- I think there's sort of a self-fulfilling prophecy happening here, Brian. Uh, you know, Manfred has you know stated uh, numerous times the games are too long, right? Okay, and and he wants to try and shorten the games. He's talking about holding relief pitchers to three batters or complete innings, whatever. But at the same point in time, every time you hit a home run, right? It takes a little bit of time, doesn't it? Absolutely. More home runs more time so games are longer this year so his, his if his attempt at shortening games is to use a ball that creates more home runs uh is he going to turn around at the end of the season and say hey look the games are still getting longer okay we got to do something about the pitching well they don't have to do anything about the pitching they just have to get a ball in play that's not a super bowl you know what i mean uh and I, I don't know what Major League Baseball is going to do. The other thing is, like I mentioned earlier, you know, the home runs are great, but if you see too many of them and they become commonplace, are they then less exciting? They would be to me. So in, in your opinion, the, the home run surge is mostly ball-related? Yeah, I, I think most I think most of it is. And if you take a look at the numbers coming out of AAA, okay, this is the first year that they've used the Major League ball at AAA. Up until this year, they've always had their own ball, and it has been different from the MLB ball. Well, they're using the same ball this year, and they got balls leaving parks at, at a record-breaking pace. Uh, I did a, a, a quick check on the numbers at the beginning of, of June, and it was unbelievable. I think last week, as of last week, I think in the PCL, there's only three pitchers with an ERA under four, Brian. So, uh, yeah, I, I think the I think it's a ball issue. I really do. Well, with the PCL, it's always being such a, a hitter-friendly league. Mm-hmm. How does that compare to previous years? I mean, that in, in a vacuum, that sounds remarkable, but it may not be that different from what it was the year before um i think if i'm not mistaken and don't quote me on this i think in both leagues you're looking at double the number of players on pace for 20 home runs 70 rbis as compared to last year it's huge all right well we have reached the point in the the podcast for crazy prediction time i'll give you a crazy prediction ask you to comment on it and then I'll ask you to give me a crazy prediction of your own. Are you ready? Sounds good, Brian. All right, my crazy prediction is that Zach Wheeler uh, is traded at the deadline, and this pitcher with a 4.69 ERA, whichever team he goes to, wins the World Series. So I want to know from you, how crazy is that? Ah, uh, it's not that crazy, actually. No, <laughs> it's not, Brian. I, I, I can, I can see that. Uh, I can see that potentially happening because. The teams that are going to look at trading for Wheeler are going to be contenders, right? He's sure. Yeah, you're sure. you're looking at Houston. 
is as a good possibility because I really can't see Houston trading for Trevor Bauer. Yeah, you know, yeah, Cole and Bauer are in the same clubhouse. They might need two clubhouses, but <laughs> <laughs> but when, when you start looking at the, the team that's going to be looking at acquiring a pitcher like Wheeler is going to be a contender, and that increases the odds. So I I I don't think it's all that crazy. So there's the fact that they may not even trade him. Mm-hmm. And then there's the fact that, uh, what, uh, we get uh, 10 teams make the playoffs, so they may not trade him. And then there's uh, only a 1 in 10 shot of winning the World Series. I, I thought I had a crazy one this time. No, All right. no. All I... right, show, show me a crazy prediction. What's a crazy prediction look like? Uh, the Boston Red Sox don't make the playoffs. Do or don't? Don't. Don't. Uh, certainly... Uh, uh, not as crazy now as it would have been before the season started. Um, I, I'm, I'm still uh, uh, going to have to say my initial reaction is that's that's a little crazy. Well, yeah, they don't have a bullpen. Yeah, <laughs> get in line. <laughs> well, hey, you got you got a good closer. You just got to find a way to get to him, Brian. Uh, yeah, that that gap in the seventh, eighth innings is a bit of a struggle. But no, the Red Sox don't have a bullpen, and I think it's uh, I think it's going to be their demise. I really do. Now the the Red Sox are not currently in the playoff. If the the season ended right now. They they would not make it right. Uh, I, I think the the Rays are would be the first team. Yeah, I, when I say playoffs, I actually mean the the play in game as well. Right, 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 right. Uh, right now, but I the, think Cleveland and Texas are right neck and neck uh, with them, if I'm not mistaken. All right. So instead of guessing, here it is. Tampa is 45 and 33. The Red Sox are 43 and 37. Uh, the Indians are 43 and 35. So they would be ahead of them. Yeah. Uh, and uh, Texas is 42 and 36, and Oakland is 41 and 38. So there's a bunch of teams that are that are certainly even more teams that could potentially trade for Zach Wheeler, and, and not even make the playoffs, much less win the World Series. Well, yeah, it's it's real interesting when you look at teams like Cleveland. Okay, all of a sudden they're they're in a situation where they could be looking at the playoffs. But they've also made it fairly clear that they there's a good chance they'll move a starting pitcher. Well, how do you, if you're in a playoff hunt, how do you move a starting pitcher? Uh, that gets a little tricky, doesn't it? Or am I, or, or am I just uh, ignoring the business of baseball for the game of baseball? Well, certainly the there would be uh, an uprising in Cleveland if they. Uh, what was it that the White Sox did uh, many years ago? Threw up the white flag. I don't think that uh, people in Cleveland would be all happy about it. You know, coming into the year, was supposed to be Cleveland and, you know, the, the four dwarves, the, you know, the rest of the, mm-hmm. the division, and then it turns out that Minnesota is the best team in the league. But uh, I think Cleveland has been playing better here lately, and, and it would be hard to imagine them right now being a seller. Yeah, it, it, it would, but uh, you can't rule anything out, especially, you know, I, with the Indians getting Mike Clevenger back, he could be a real difference maker in the second half to them. Uh, they could close some of that ground on Minnesota. All right, so I'm, I'm afraid that I'm going to have to downgrade my initial uh, reaction hmm. because of all of the teams that are involved. I, I guess it wouldn't be a it wouldn't be a shock if the Red Sox were on the outside, but. Um, Certainly, uh, if if you had given that prediction the last time that we were on, I think that would have qualified as certifiable. But I, I think I'm going to have to downshift on it and say, no, nah, I don't think it's crazy. Well, you, you know, it's well, 
I said heading into the season that was going to be their problem, and uh, you know the bullpen, and obviously it is. But it it just seems crazy to me that a team coming off a World Series win could, especially with the state is the status of uh, baseball in the American League, not make the playoffs. That's that's crazy in and of itself, isn't it? Uh, maybe. Uh, I, I guess the thing that, that I find encouraging is that I think coming into this year, we thought there was five, maybe six teams in the American League who would have a, a realistic shot of making the playoffs and that we had become so stratified in in the haves versus the have-nots. So to me, it's kind of encouraging to, to know that there are this many teams that are still uh, in, a, in a decent shape to make the playoffs. I think that's healthy for baseball. Yeah, I totally agree. I think it is as well because I think heading into the season, it was almost like we had conceded the playoff spots and we're going to play 162 games and get get out of it. It's nice to see some teams uh, like Minnesota stepping up. Absolutely. Now, I want to shift gears and, and talk about um, – you know somebody who I think just isn't nearly appreciated enough, and that's Mike Trout. Um, he is, uh, you know, he's our generation's Mickey Mantle, you know, or the the 21st century Mickey Mantle, maybe a better way to put it. So, what is your favorite uh, Mike Trout story or Mike Trout stat? Well, there's there's so many of them, but I happened to catch an interview uh, when he was in Toronto. They did an interview with our. Uh, with our, one of our national sports networks. I think it was Sportsnet did it. And he was being interviewed. And the one thing that stuck out to me is that, you know, he, he said point blank that he, he likes the way the organization is heading. And for all of the individual glory that he has had, he would trade all of that for a World Series ring. And that, to me, spoke volumes as to who Mike, Mike Trout really is. He he wants to win that big prize. He's a t- he's a team player. You, you, and and that to me is something that I don't think enough focus is on. You know, you look at the stats and the numbers, and they're all off the charts. But at the end of the day, you know, he's a team player, and he wants his team to win. And uh, that's important to me. Real important on top of the fact that he is the best player of our generation. Now, if he really wanted his team to win, he shouldn't have signed that free agent uh, killing deal that he did with the Angels. He should have went to the market and signed with a team that can make the playoffs. Yeah, but again, his loyalty. You know, the Angels have treated him right. He's happy in that environment. Uh, he signed He signed a good deal, but at the same point in time, uh, the Angels have some good players coming up. They've already got one of their pitchers up canning. Uh, Joe Adele is going to be a star, and I think he's uh, I think he's obviously very committed to that organization. And I I think the future is very bright. Yeah, remember he's only what twenty seven, twenty eight. Uh, we could see another another five to eight years of this level of production out of Mike Trout. Uh, that's impressive. You mentioned his age. I think this is his age 27 season. And if Mike Trout retired today, he would be in the Hall of Fame. Yeah, there's no doubt in my mind. What what he's already done in his career has passed the point where any reasonable person could say that, nah, I don't think so. 
and he's just been amazing. Well, and he he's on track for his uh, third ten war season. And there's not too many people in Major League Baseball history who can say that. Well, let's just take a look. Uh, Kirby Puckett's in the Hall of Fame, isn't he? Uh, yes, and I think he got that partly on his personality. And if we knew uh, at the time of his uh, election to the Hall, if we knew the stuff that we knew about him now, maybe he wouldn't be. Well, yeah, just looking at it purely from a statistical point of view, uh, I think Mike Trotz had a better career than Kirby Puckett, right? <laughs> oh, yes, hands down. <laughs> yeah, not even not even comparable. I'm still lobbying for Albert. Uh, don't call me Joey Bell to get in the Hall of Fame. He had such an amazing run, and if you compare his numbers to Puckett, they're better. But again, personality enters into it, which it shouldn't, should it? Um, no, it shouldn't, but when you have the uh, the baseball writers being the ones who uh, do the... The, the voting, it, it, it's almost hard for them not to take the player's personality into it since they're the ones who got to see that personality up close and personal. And my guess is that Kirby Puckett smiled at all of them and Albert Bell didn't. Well, yeah, you know, it's time to vote. Let me see. Who gave me that interview? Who didn't give me that interview? Hmm, okay. <laughs> we have a deciding factor, right? Looking at uh, Trout's uh, Fangraphs page mm -hmm. and his lowest season, you know, once he became a regular in 2012, his his lowest season in in WAR was 6.9 in his injury shortened 2017. Mm. 6.9. That that's an MVP caliber year, and that was his worst. Yeah. I, it's it, it's it's mind boggling and and. Mm. He should be celebrated constantly. Yeah, my, my personal one of one of my favorite stories involves me. Okay, I saw him in the <laughs> I, I saw him in the Arizona Fall League. Okay, and I took a I took a look at him, and he really struggled. He, he his shoulder was banged up, and he just didn't look all that impressive. Okay, so you know, heading into the season, the Angels outfield was pretty well carved in stone, so I didn't see any opportunities. Okay. So in his rookie campaign, I was down on Mike Trout. And for the fantasy game that I'm a big part of, I suggested people don't invest, okay, in one-year leagues. So uh, I'm still eating filet of crow, a little lemon <laughs> and pepper. Works great, but uh, th that's, uh, that's one of my, uh, my bigger faux pas uh, over the years, Brian. Now, uh, I, I think I can come somewhat close to that. Uh, I took a uh, ballpark trip uh, 1991 I believe it was mm -hmm. and we were based in the Midwest and we were seeing a whole bunch of parks in the Midwest and this was late in the year it was September and I got to see I think three games with uh, Frank Thomas okay where I think he went one for 12 so I was everyone was you know touting Frank Thomas and I'm like yeah I don't I don't think he's, he's as good as you think he is <laughs> and you know that's the uh, the danger of those uh, small selected sample sizes oh yeah so the swings you, the uh, swings too long too many holes uh, yep, he's, yep. yeah uh, football player not really a baseball player there we go yeah I I think I've heard that before somewhere maybe a couple times Brian <laughs> So uh, you, you've got Trout, I've got Frank Thomas. So. Okay. All right, well, in, instead of the great Mount Mike Trout, uh, let, let's end uh, today's uh, cast with uh, oh, um, perhaps my least favorite player right now, and, and that's uh, Robinson Cano. 
And uh, right now he has 215 plate appearances on the season, and he's carrying a 223, 270, 361 line, which is quite awful. Yet the Mets not only continue to play him nearly every day, but they bat him in the heart of the lineup. They're usually third. I think there was a couple of days where he batted fifth, but every other game it's been third. So which one was dumber? Trading for him in the first place or continuing to give him the star treatment here when he's been sub-replacement level? He's got a, a negative uh, Fangraphs war right now. Uh, I think the trade was okay. On a positive note, though, okay, he's producing better than Suspedus, right? <laughs> Sorry, that no, was... he's not. No, no, he, he's he's worse than we we could take a guy off of the street from a triple A AAA roster, and he's doing worse than that. So at least Cespedes isn't uh, at that level. Yeah, I was, that was just mean. Okay, that, that was my evil twin saying that. Okay, Brian, I, I take that back. You know, the the, the trade. I I don't think the trade was all that bad. When the cash is brought into play, he's looking at twelve million a year over five years. Okay. The money is not per se the issue. Trade twelve million a year, hoping to get at least three good years out of Robinson Cano. I don't think was that much of a, a long shot. Okay, and they did pick up Diaz in the deal, who personally I believe is 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 going to bounce back from some of the struggles he's had this year. He's too good a pitcher with too good of an arm. Uh, so. Uh, I would say right now, uh, continuing, continuing to give him these star treatment. Okay, like he's not producing. Okay, get him, get him down into the seventh, eighth slot until he starts hitting. Okay, you can only support running him out there in three, four, five for so long, and I, I think we're past that time. You know, he's what's his? Uh, he's got a what? A two seventy OBP, six thirty one ops. Put him mm-hmm. down into seven, eight. See if you can get them motivated and playing like the Robinson Cano that they anticipated they were getting. And, you know, hey, gloves got to come off. At some point in time, you've got to produce to earn a spot in the lineup, and he's not doing it. So I would say now is uh, now is the time. Make that move. The money situation is even worse than what you painted it as. Uh, Cano was uh, owed $120 million for the, the last five years of his deal, and the Mariners sent over $20 million. So the Mets are uh, on the hook for $20 million per year. I, I thought it was. I thought they sent him sixty mil, Brian. Obviously, that was the original terms of the deal that were leaked. Oh, okay. But the the actual terms that came out were uh, much less favorable than that. So, uh, but Oof. it would be one thing if he's hitting, but he's not hitting, and he's never been known for his uh, hustle, uh, and that's come into play a couple of times, which is you know just. It, it's one of those things you accept when the, the guy's producing, but when the guy's hitting 220 and he's not hustling on top of that, uh, it, it's a it's a tough thing to take. Well, yeah, it, it is. And and one of the things that sort of concerns me when you start looking at middle in, infielders, is, is especially second base, there's, there's a proven history that there are not many second basemen, okay, that have produced after the age of 35. Okay, you you can you can go through a, a whole pile of names. You, you look at Morgan, look at Robbie Alomar. You know what I mean? And they were star players, but the decline is seems to be very very fast. Other than Kent, uh, on the coast, the decline seems to be very 
very quick at, at that second base position and the Mets bought into those years uh, again they bought into it they own them uh, hey if he's not producing they could they got they got to get him out of the three four five they really do I could not agree more, but I would go even further and say they need to put him on the bench and then put McNeil at his regular spot of second base instead of having him try to play the outfield. You improve your infield defense and you improve your outfield defense. And the, the guy you get uh, to replace him, who essentially becomes the new uh, left fielder, is likely to be hitting, hitting better than Cano, too. Well, yeah, it's at some point in time, the best bet long-term for this is that the NL... Uh moves to a situation where they've got a DH. As much as t- traditionalists hate that, for Robinson Cano, it would be a best-case scenario, I think. Well, I, I think the best-case scenario is to, to cut him, and then that way we don't have to watch him play and we don't have to have the DH. I stunned Tim into silence. We must have lost him again. Well, that was uh, going to be our final topic of the day. I'd I'd like to thank Tim for joining us and putting up with all of the uh, technical issues that we had today. Um, Hopefully the next time that we have him back on, if he'll agree to come back on, it'll be a whole lot smoother than it was today. Well, that's it from our end. Uh, Hopefully the Mets can get back to their winning ways. And good night, everyone, and goodbye.